Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. Well, good morning, everyone. Let's get started. How about I'll pray, and then we'll jump in. Father, thank you for all the true things we sang this morning. Lord, thank you for the freedom that you make possible in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the living water. And Lord, if we do an honest assessment of our lives, there are areas we are not as free as we desire to be or as you desire us to be. And so Lord, we ask this morning that you would use your word and by your spirit would produce increased freedom in very specific areas of our lives. We ask for your help and your power and your presence. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you have a Bible, open to Galatians chapter 5. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Joe. I'm one of the pastors here. And we are continuing through our series in the book of Galatians. Today we're going to be looking at verses 15 through 26 of Galatians chapter 5. And today's message is entitled, Experiencing Christ's Freedom. Experiencing Christ's Freedom. We're going to be looking at the experience of the Christian life today. And Bob Mundorf and I were talking earlier this morning. And I think in the time I've been a pastor, I don't think I've ever had a title of a message with the word experience. And it might make some of you uncomfortable. But I think you're going to see from this passage this morning... The Apostle Paul is aiming at some real-life experience that we are to have and to not have as Christians. So to prepare us, I want you to think about this question. If you are a Christian, are you free? Are you a free Christian? Do you have freedom in all areas of your life? Are you free? Free from anger, free from worry, free from fear. Free from sinful indulgence. Are you free? Are there areas of your life you'd like to be freer? That you'd like to experience more freedom? Think about this way. Those of you who have brothers and sisters. Here's the scenario. You open the the cabinet in your kitchen this morning to have your favorite bowl of cereal. And you're excited about it. And there the box is. Call it Lucky Charms. You're looking at the box and you're imagining those little marshmallows and what they're going to taste like. You go to grab the box and it's empty. And you feel a rage of anger come inside of you because you know, you even know which sibling it is, has once again emptied, or maybe it's your dad, emptied the box and you are raging at this point and out of your mouth comes that rage. See, it's that real life. Jesus wants to free us even of those scenarios that we do not have to give in to those feelings of anger or rage. Or maybe, for those of you, this has been the the first fall where you've sent your kids away to college and they are no longer in your home under your watch. And so you are worried. You stay up late worrying you text and they don't text back and you, you wonder what's going on. And so you're, you're worried in a way that is almost enslaving, that you don't, you don't feel like you have freedom from. 
See, Jesus wants you to have more freedom. Or maybe in your marriage there is just strife and biting and fighting and just, just stuff that you know is not right, but you feel so stuck in it and you don't know how to get out of it. Is freedom possible? Absolutely. Just by way of review, look at Galatians 5.1. Paul starts this chapter by saying, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Then in verse 14, or verse 13, he says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So the freedom in verse 1 of chapter 5 is primarily talking about the freedom from a law-based acceptance with the Lord. Paul's been arguing that through Galatians 1 through 5, that we, we don't earn our acceptance with the Lord by what we do. Rather, what Christ has done is what makes us acceptable as we put our faith in His provision. But then in verse 13, he transitions and he says, well, it's more than just freedom from the law. It's also freedom from our sin and our sinful desires that remain in us. And that's what we're going to look at and talk about today. Now, I want you to imagine that you were an inmate. You've been imprisoned for crime and you were guilty. And let's say it was a significant crime, so you were there for 15 years. So you're used to handcuffs when you're being transported. You're used to a small prison cell. You're used to the COs telling you what to do and what not to do. That's the correction officers. But let's say the 15th year came and you went before the pro board and you're, you're free. You're, you, you fulfilled the sentence. Well, that day, let's say it is today, whatever today's date is, September 24th, 2017, Mr. Ryer, you are free to go. And you walk out of the prison. And here's a couple of things that are true. The first thing is you are free. So if you see the probation officer or the CEO, the corrections officer, you're, you're no longer under their, their, their rule, their domain. You are free. You no longer have to wear handcuffs. You are free. You no longer have to call your home an 8x10 prison cell. You are free. So that is true. What also is true, if you've been in prison for that long of a period of time, you're going to have to learn to walk out that freedom. Because you're so used to not being free that you've got to figure out, what does this freedom mean? Where are the parameters? And so, for the Christian, the moment you trusted in Christ, you were set free from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin. But your entire Christian life is in many ways all about learning to walk in that freedom that Christ has made possible. So one thing I want you to do today is I want you to think of what is that one area, one kind of sin area that you really think, I desire to be more free of. Jesus will want me to experience more freedom. Think of what that area would be. And as I go through this message, I want you to have that in mind. Maybe it's anger, maybe it's worry, maybe it's fear, maybe it's gossip, maybe it's lust, maybe it's sinful indulgence with drugs and alcohol. What is that one area? Because verse 13 is true for you. 
For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So the points this morning are going to be arranged in such an order. It's four points of answering the question, how can we experience the freedom that Jesus purchased for us? How can we experience this freedom that Christ made possible? Point number one, we experience freedom when we walk by the Spirit. We experience freedom when we walk by the Spirit. And we're going to talk about what that means. Look at verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. See, when we walk by the Spirit as Christians, at times you're going to feel, you're going to experience an internal conflict inside of you. When you want to do the right thing, you're going to experience a conflict inside of you. Isaac, can you project that cartoon picture? And this may... You might remember this. So we got Donald here. We got the bad Donald and the good Donald, right? Got the angel and the demon, Donald in the middle. And I don't know what the scenario is, but Donald is contemplating something. The guy on my right, your left, is telling him to do the right thing. This guy, not so much. And I want you to think of all the real-life situations, if you're a Christian, that you are in. So let's take anger. You're feeling anger rising up. You know it's wrong. You know you're not supposed to do it. We got this guy over here stoking. Ah, just, just let it rip. Just tell him. Tell him what you think of him, really what you think of him, and plow him over. Get the other voice in your head. No, that's not right. That's not what the Lord would want you to do. And so you have that conflict. When you put your trust in Christ, this becomes a reality. See, before Christ, you were dead in your sins. When you were made alive, now you have a new nature, your, your new creation that God has made in you, and you have the old nature. And they will war, to some degree, your entire Christian life. Isaac, you can take that down. And it can be confusing to people when you have that going on inside of you. I can remember when I first became a Christian, maybe a year or two into my Christian life, that Steve Murphy, one of my good friends and pastor of this church at the time, he was trying to help me with a, a number of things, and I went to him one day so bothered by this conflict inside of me that I, I just I wasn't used to it. And I confessed some sin to him. I asked him for help. I asked him to pray. And I was, you know, maybe a little overdramatic, but I was, you know, probably the point of tears. I was uh, over the top. He, and, and the first thing he did, I remember looking right at him, and he had a huge smile on his face. And I didn't, I was getting to know him, but I didn't know him as well as I, I would as the years passed by. But I thought, what's wrong with him? <laughs> did he hear what I just said? I just told him my life's a mess and do these kind of things, and I know they're wrong, and please help me. And he said, he said, Joe, he explained why he's smiling. He said, Joe, here's the thing. And he knew my past and where I came from. He said, remember what you were doing just a few years ago. 
those crazy wild sins. And now this is a really in many ways a lesser degree of that kind of sin. And you're so bothered by it. He said, praise the Lord. That's evidence that God is at work in you now. God's Holy Spirit is convicting you. He wants to purify you. And so he helped me to understand how to think about this conflict that's inside of us that Paul talks about in verse 17. For the desires of the flesh, our sinful desires, are against the Spirit. God's Spirit in us. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. See, they, they're at war with one another. And so, for those of you who have a very tender conscience and you're very bothered by this conflict within, I would say to you what Steve said to me, the first starting point should be a celebration. It's a sign of life inside of you. God made you alive when you were dead in your sins. Paul talks about this battle in Romans 7. He says, So, I find it to be a law in me that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And at times it will feel like war. Then he says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then the answer is Jesus Christ. But see, these two sections of Scripture, they they get at this war within. But the main point of both those sections, whether it's Romans chapter 7 or Galatians 5.17, is this. The point isn't that, the primary point isn't that we're in a war. It's that Jesus gives us the victory. See, sometimes I think we can get so stuck and we're in this spiritual war both inside and outside of us that we get sort of lost and paralyzed. The point is, you are in a war, but Jesus brings the victory. You, if you are in Christ, He desires to give you more and more freedom. So it's the fall, and I, I know I've been mentioning this a lot, but I'm going to mention it one more time and then I won't do it in November. We'll put it that way. So, cross-country season. You all know my son runs. Captain of our team is here today. Brandon is in the house. And one of the things that Brandon would tell the younger guys, and the coaches were saying yesterday, while the kids are racing, we were in Hershey, eyes up, eyes up. The whole time they're racing. So they're running. It's hot. It's sweaty. They're going up and down hills. Eyes up, eyes up. Because when they look down, then they they get tight, and then they don't run as well. It's the same for us as Christians. We need eyes up. We need to be looking at the Lord. When you are all entangled and ensnared in sin, you need to look out. You need to look up at Jesus Christ. There's a place for looking in, but only do it for a little bit. And then look out. Look up and get your eyes fixed on Jesus. See, we need to learn to walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. So what does it mean to walk by the the Spirit. Well, some of the things it means is that we are dependent on the Holy Spirit, that we yield to the Holy Spirit, that we surrender to the Holy Spirit, that we ask the Holy Spirit for His power, His presence, His strength, His help, and that we lean heavily 
on Him. That we are absolutely dependent on Him. That we are in this book, God's Word, and praying and getting to know the Lord and asking the Lord, Lord, I'm tempted. I'm ensnared. I need help. Help me to walk this Christian life out. And He will as we yield to Him, as we surrender, as we abide in Him. See, we're to be led by the Spirit. And part of being led by someone is we have to follow them. So you think of any leader in any kind of thing, military, sports, band leader, what makes them the leader is people are following them. We are to follow the Holy Spirit. And how we know it's the Holy Spirit is by God's Word, by His revealed Word. So as we read, as we seek to obey, as things are difficult, we ask the Holy Spirit for help. At times, this can seem abstract. Like, how do we walk by the Spirit? I think one of the helpful ways to think about it is thinking about who are the Christians you know that you would say, they are walking by the power of the Holy Spirit. They, they are alive in God's Spirit. Two come to mind immediately in our church is Bonnie Arife and Cynthia Snyder. They're the two have been teaching the class on discipleship and evangelism. I do a lot of ministry stuff with them pretty much weekly right now, so I'm around them a lot. And watching them, you get a picture. What, what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? It means they are seeking the Lord. It means they are surrendering to the Lord. They are submitting to the Lord. They are petitioning the Lord. They are worshiping the Lord. They are reading and believing the promises in this book. And so it's this ongoing relationship that they have with family pressures, with life struggle, with ministry challenges. They are continually pursuing the Lord. So, if you want to grow in learning to walk by the Spirit, obviously you ask the Spirit for help. But link up with a man or woman who is walking by the Spirit. And they will help you. They will show you the way. They will teach you. See, I, a few years ago, I, I started learning how to lap swim at the Y. And I could always swim, but I never lap swim. Swam or swim or swimmed. Um, went swimming on laps. However you want to say it. So I watched, I read books, I read articles. I watched a lot of YouTube videos. But what helped me the most was going to the Y, introducing myself to people I didn't know, and saying, how do you do that? How do you do a flip turn? Got a lifeguard here, Tanya has helped me a lot. Tanya, tell me what you see, what I'm doing wrong, and, and, and help me. And so it was through a lot of input of a lot of swimmers that I, I became a better swimmer. It's the same in the Christian life. As you link up with other Christians who are trying to figure out this adventure of following Jesus Christ, you will learn and you will be helped from them. So, and the Bible just calls this discipleship. This is learning from others what it means to be a student of Jesus Christ. Link up with those who are following the Lord. And you'll know who they are. They have the fruit of the Spirit. They have passion for the Lord. They love the lost. They are committed to evangelism. They are generous with their time and money. You, you see all these marks of someone who is walking by the Spirit. If you don't know someone and you're a little uncomfortable, ask Bob or I. We'll, we'll try to link you up with someone that 
could really encourage you. See, part of walking by the Spirit involves effort on our part. It involves work on our part. Now, you might be thinking, I thought, I thought you guys had been regularly teaching that we're saved by faith alone, not by our works. That is absolutely true. But when it comes to walking out the Christian life, being sanctified, being made into the image of Christ, it involves effort. It involves the Lord and the Holy Spirit and our effort. We use the word synergism. It's the two parties coming together and working together. And so, if you want to grow, there's effort involved as a Christian. We need to confess our sin. We need to ask the Lord for help. We need to link up with other Christians. We need to do things. And the Lord will meet us in that. Here's a verse that combines the two ideas. Philippians 2, 12-13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. Go to the gym. Exercise your spiritual muscles. Work it out. Now look at verse 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So it's both. We work it out. He works in us as we work it out. See, the thing that ensnares us the most as Christians isn't our culture, isn't the things we see on the news. It's the things inside of us. It's our desires. And so Paul is going to tell us that the thing that's going to bring the most freedom for us is learning not to feed this monster that still remains in us. And he's calling it the flesh. So this brings us to point number two. We experience freedom when we do not gratify the desires of our flesh. Now what are those desires? He's going to give a list of 14. It's not exhaustive, but it gives you a good good picture. Now the works of the flesh are evident. And I want you to think as I read this list, think about what sins are grouped together. These are groups of sins that you and I don't always group together. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity or hostility or hatred, strife, jealousy or envy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I warned you as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So these are the great snares. Those sins that remain inside of us. That we really do have the option as Christians to either obey them and feed them, or turn from them. And I'm going to show that to you in a little bit. But let's examine them a little bit. Group them into the four categories. A lot of commentators group them into categories similar to this. So they would be, maybe group one, sins of a sexual nature. All forms of sexual immorality. All forms of sex outside of God's parameters, which would be marriage between a husband and wife. So impurity, sensuality, orgy. So it's, it's all these sins of a sexual nature that just can run rampant and do run rampant 
in our culture, and I think if you're honest, maybe in your hearts and minds as well. And so if you give in to those sins, you will not be free. You will not be experiencing the freedom that Jesus purchased for you. Next group, sins of an idolatrous nature. Idolatry, sorcery. So idolatry is really bowing down to anything else other than Jesus Christ as God. And sorcery would include witchcraft and magic and all the the dark powers of the world that we're to stay away from. Paul's saying these are sins of your flesh. So we got rampant sexual sin. So you might think of that normally. We've got idolatry and sorcery. Now here's a list that you might not put in the same group. And he makes no distinction between this next list and the ones that I just mentioned. These are sins of a relational nature. How you relate to your fellow brother and sister, friend, co-worker, husband, wife, child, spouse, um, parent-child relationship, brother-sister relationship. So enmity. This is hostility that you are. You're just bent against them. Strife. There's just friction all the time in your relationship. Jealousy. You, you cannot celebrate somebody else's success because you are so jealous of them. It results in anger. Fits of anger, Paul says. It can be rivalries, factions. I'm with him. I'm with him. I'm with her. I'm with this group. Dissensions. It's Divisions and dissensions and all these things, they come out of our hearts. When you feed those, you are not free. You are not experiencing the freedom that Jesus wants you to experience, that Jesus purchased for you when he died on the cross. Last group we'll call sins of indulgence. He, he singles out drunkenness here, but this would certainly include any drug use, whether it's abuse of pain, uh, pain pills or any kind of illegal drug or any kind of alcohol that is indulged to the point of drunkenness. See, sins of indulgence in these areas, they lead to disastrous consequences, but they're also enslaving. See, the biblical description for addiction is enslavement. And so if you are crossing the line in your use of alcohol, if you are going to other drugs for refuge and satisfaction, chances are you are committing sins of indulgence and most likely sins of idolatry, that you are bowing down to this substance and giving it your absolute devotion that would, should be reserved for the Lord. See, these are serious sins that will always have serious consequences. Paul uses the language of sowing and reaping. Look at Galatians 6, verse 8 through 10. For one who sows to his own flesh, from the flesh will reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So whatever you sow into, whatever you feed, it will grow one way or the other. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap. If we do not give up, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are the household of faith. Let me just say a word about 
drugs and alcohol because that's a world I come out of. It's a world I feel um, very passionate about that it, it really does ensnare men and women often and teenagers in particular. My first case of beer was warm national bohemian beer. I was a young teenager and I began to get drunk and indulge and it, 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 it started at years of enslavement to alcohol and drugs and all that came with it. And see, at first, there's certainly a pleasure point that we wouldn't do these things if there wasn't a pleasure point. But when you cross that line and the, the hook is set and you are ensnared, there is no freedom for you. And you begin to watch people get wiped out by drugs and alcohol and the abuse of them. And I know Christians, Paul's speaking to Christians here. I'm going to point that out in a moment. But Christians can often get ensnared and maybe don't see the danger of it. Maybe you didn't grow up in a home where it was wild and crazy, so it looks more innocent to you. But when you begin to cross those lines, you are feeding sins of the flesh that, that really will ensnare you. Even if you are a Christian, you can, you can put the handcuffs back on. I mean, think of college freshmen. I know we have a number of college freshmen in here. I realize, especially if you're away or going away to college, the freedom can create this incredible temptation to just experiment and go for it. And that's why Paul says, don't use your freedom to indulge in those sinful impulses and desires. See, when Bob read this morning from John chapter 10, he said, all the life is in Jesus. And I experienced it, I do experience it, and I do believe it fully. All the life is in Jesus, and all the corruption and death is in sin. It's that clear in the Bible. Now, we, we kind of spin it around and get all dizzy and think, oh, maybe it's not as bad as people say it is, but it really is. So I do not want you to be enslaved or ensnared. In any of these groups... See, Jesus came to set you free from your anger, from your jealousy, from your envy, from your pride, from whatever it is that, that comes to mind. So what should you do if this morning you are aware the Holy Spirit is pinpointing some area in your life that you feel trapped in? Let me give you some advice. You should own it. You should not excuse it. So do not blame your anger on the people around you. Do not blame your indulgence of alcohol or other drugs on life pressures. Own it. Because when you own it, you're, 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 in, a, you're in a good starting place because Jesus died for real sinners who really sin. And so if I say, I've really sinned and I've really done it, Jesus is the cure for that. He's the remedy for that. So I can run to Him. So you should own it. You should confess it. You should ask Him for help. And as you confess it, confess it to Him, but confess it to others, a trusted Christian that you know will pray for you. And maybe that same trusted Christian can regularly pray for you, encourage you, hold you accountable, and walk with you as you battle. See, we want, never want to be a church where we're faking it, that we appear to be one thing between 10 and 11.30 on Sunday morning, and we, in reality, are something totally different. 
every other day and hour of the week. See, as we grow and mature as Christians, that gap should be closing and closing. We should be more and more like Jesus rather than less and less like Jesus. So if that's a big gap for you, this could be an exciting morning for you. If you own it, confess it, ask for help and bring other Christians into it, you're on a pathway to actually be more free, to experience joy and more happiness and more satisfaction. Now, maybe you're not in one of those areas right now, but you're, you want to help others who are. And we're going to talk about that more when we get to Galatians 6. But what do you do in, in the situations where someone gets trapped? What do you do? What do you, what do you tell them? What do you say to them? If a Christian comes to you and confesses their sin, first thing I would do is I would, I would thank them for doing that. I would listen to them. I would point out God's work in their life. And then, depending on the sin and what needs corrected, I would bring God's word into that situation and bring correction where correction is needed. The Bible calls it rebuking. Do it in love. But point them back to Jesus. Should you declare that they're not a Christian when they do that? I would not, and here's why I wouldn't do that. I don't think Paul does that in this passage. See, he's writing to Christians... He tells them that he warned them before, he forewarned them, and he's warning them again. So all the commentators I read, I believe 100% of them, believe he's talking to Galatian Christians who were really struggling with many of these sins. And so his starting point wasn't declare them not in the faith. Now, that doesn't mean there can't be a place where you're talking to them for a while and there's a long-term standing pattern of sin where you take them back down to the foundation of their faith and, hey, let's talk about what do you believe? Who are you? Who's Jesus? What what does that mean? Is he your substance? So you can do that at times. I just wouldn't start there. Because if they're coming to you, chances are they've been convicted by the Holy Spirit. It's a sign God's at work in them. Does that mean God's okay with their sinful behavior? Not at all. He hates it. He hates not just the sins you think he hates, the sexual immorality, the drug use, the um, drunkenness. He hates the envy, the gossip, the strife, the dissensions. He hates it all. And he sent his son to die for it all. Every single one of them. Well then... What does it mean in verse 21 when he says, I warn you, as I warned you before, talking to Christians, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I warn you, as I forewarned you, possibly when he was with them, don't do these sins. Let's talk about the warning part first. No matter what you think about the second half, The first part is clear. This is a warning from the Lord through the Apostle Paul. This is like what you say to your kids. Do not touch the stove. You will get burnt. Do not walk in traffic. You will get killed. This is a stern, clear warning from the Lord himself. Now the second part I find to be tricky. That those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And probably where I get clearest is, here's what I don't think the Apostle Paul is saying. 
First of all, I don't think he's talking to non-Christians. He's talking to Christians. He is clearly talking to Christians. You flip to the book, beginning of Galatians, he says, to the churches of Galatia. So I don't think he's addressing non-Christians. And as we have taught for years and years in this church, the Bible is very clear, you cannot lose your salvation. So if he's talking to Christians. I don't think he's saying you lose your salvation if you participate in these sins. I think he is giving a very strong warning. And in verse 6, he begins to talk about consequences of sowing and reaping. So I don't think he's teaching you're going to lose your salvation. Nor is he encouraging they should continue to sin because there will be real consequences. Where I lean in the year 2017 as I wrestle through this passage is I think there are consequences for sin both now and to come. And so he uses inheritance language in verse 21 where he says, I warn you as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now some interpret that to be synonymous with salvation. I would not because of the reasons I just told you. He's addressing Christians. Christians cannot lose their salvation. So I think he's pointing to a future consequence. If you held a gun to my head, I wouldn't take the bullet for that one. I would take the bullet that you're not going to lose your salvation. I would take the bullet that if you are sinning, there will be massive consequences both in this world and the world to come. I might let you punch me. Because I'm not 100% clear, but I'm, I'm leaning that way. And I realize this, this can make some questions appear in your mind. And so Bob and I and Mark would want to help you sort those things out. But at times, I think with these kind of naughty issues, we can get so lost in them, we forget what, what's the whole point of this passage and message. Freedom. God wants you to be free. So no matter where you land on what the tail end of verse 21 means, I think we can all agree Christ came to set us free. And when we yield to him, when we follow him, he's going to bring freedom. The Bible calls this fruit. Look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no Law. We spent the whole summer in our equip classes teaching through each fruit of the Spirit. So I'm not going to say much about it. Go to our website, listen to those messages. I also preached a message on the fruit of the Spirit um, in July. So that is on the website too. But I want you to think of these fruits in terms of freedom. If you are loving and devoted to others, if you have joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, you are free. Just think. Rather than worry, you have peace. Rather than envy, you have love. Rather than this internal turmoil of feeding your sin, you have joy. You have genuine goodness produced in you. You have a self-control that you no longer have to give in. See, all these things come as we yield to the Spirit. See, God sent Jesus to save you, rescue you, and make you very fruitful. I was in Lancaster County on Friday night at 9.30, um, grocery shopping with my kids and my nieces and nephews. And in Lancaster County, there's farms everywhere like you imagine. 
9.30 in September, there are tractors everywhere in fields everywhere with big bright lights because the harvest is, is happening. And I asked my brother-in-law, I said, does this happen all the time? He said, 20, you know, all night they'll be doing this. They're harvesting the crop that's been produced. See, God wants a great harvest in our lives of fruit. Of these kinds of fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And see, a starting point for, I think, some of you in this room is really believing your new reality. So I'm going to say just a few words about this. Last point, we experience freedom when we truly believe and walk out our new identity. See, some of you, you are Christians, but you don't believe at the, at the core that you really are who the Bible says you are, you are now. Look at verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. That whole sinful list, it's been killed in you if you are a Christian. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. See, a huge, huge, huge part of being free as a Christian, is really coming to believe, coming to terms with what it means to be in Jesus Christ. See, the Bible says you are a new creation. God's Spirit is inside of you. And so when you feel that war raging, a starting point is really believing that you are who God says you are in His Word. Just going to say one, one um, more thought about that, but let's have the band come up as I just wrap this up. See, a good coach, one of the things a good coach will always do is he'll point out the potential in the athletes. See, a good coach will take, see a 12-year-old and sees what they're going to be when they're 18. And he sees the potential. Now, they might be 4 foot 11, but he looks at them, he sees a 6 foot 5, basketball guard who's incredible and so he'll point that out and he'll encourage that and he'll he'll build that potential up he'll do what the cross-country coaches do keep looking up keep looking out keep remembering what happened and see that's what God wants some of you to come to terms with today you are no longer who you once were see when the moment you put your faith in Jesus 2 Corinthians 5 17 happened to you Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. See, God's will and desire for you is that you walk out that new freedom. Let's pray. You can all stand. We're going to sing. Jesus, Lord, we know that we still have a mess in our lives at times, and we know that you have paid for the whole mess, not just part of it. And Holy Spirit, we know that you use times like this for us to make major progress forward. So would you please, Holy Spirit, convict? Would you please give us faith to believe our new identity? Would you please give us power to turn? And maybe for those who are, don't want to own it and just keep excusing, would you help them to 
to own it. And for those who look down so much more than they look up, would you please help them to look upward and outward to Jesus Christ? And Lord, would you please fill us with your spirit as we sing to you. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.